0: Wild Precious Life is brought to you by Shelter in Place, a podcast about reimagining life through creativity and community. Is there a word for a friend you've never met, an online soul sister, a kindred spirit? No matter the words I use to describe her, Laura Joyce Davis feels like a friend. Each week on her podcast, Laura shares stories that make me feel like I'm sitting around the coffee table or laughing with my best people. One listener described Shelter in Place as a warm hug. Others have called it binge-worthy and wonder-filled, like catching up with an old friend. So if you are longing for joy, rest, or beauty, if you are looking for a show that helps us not to escape out of life, but into it, check out Shelter in Place wherever you get your podcasts. Do you remember that movie, As Good As It Gets? Even if the characters and plot have faded from memory, that title has always stayed with me. For most of my young adult life, I had a relatively prescribed path to walk. I got good grades so I could go to a good school, so I could get a good job and find a good partner. There was a familiarity to that path and its rhythm. And there were rites of passage, weddings, and graduations, and all these signs to show me I was on the right path. I think one of the strangest things about being a slightly older adult is standing here wondering, is this really as good as it gets? I know I have more to offer, more adventures to have, more responsibilities I can shoulder. But often, I just feel like the rug has been ripped out from under me. I'm still on a journey, but I can't always see where I'm going. And I do more falling now. I'm lost more often, both literally and figuratively. Sometimes I find myself grasping for my children's benchmarks as though their good grades and colleges are somehow an indication of my achievements. But I know deep in my bones that that's their road. I need to find my own. And part of finding my way as an adult has involved screw-ups and about-faces, jobs I've quit, mistakes I've made, I don't love, the feeling of untetheredness a lot of days if you offered me a prescribed path for the second half of my life some google map to follow to place one foot in front of the other i would probably take it but then once again i'd be following somebody else's idea about where i'm supposed to go and i've done that already i have spent a long time following directions and coloring inside the lines I really and truly believe that my life right now is for stumbling over tree roots and feeling my way through brambles and wandering into clearings and vistas I didn't know were there. That means I have to take a look inside myself for signs that I'm heading in my own right direction. And I'm not gonna lie, that can be scary. But it can also be triumphant and sometimes like today, I meet other women who are also on this journey. They are on their own path, but we walk a pace together and help each other find our way. Today's guest is one such wanderer. Oh, and a quick note, we actually recorded this conversation a few days ago when I had a cold that made me sound a little like Kathleen Turner. So if you're wondering who the gravel-voiced husky interviewer is, that's me. Okay, let me tell you about Barb. Barb Bruce is a popular speaker and author who is passionate about helping women apply the truth of God's Word to the practical realities and challenges they face in today's culture. Barb has taught and encouraged thousands of women at events across the country and around the world. She's the author of many books, including Winning the Worry Battle, Breakthrough, Enough Already, and Surrendered. She hosts the Better Together podcast is a proud mom to three adult children, and she lives just down the highway from me in Toledo, Ohio. Barb Roos, welcome to Wild Precious Life. Oh, I'm so glad to be with you today, Anne-Marie. Well, I'm delighted that you're here. So you and I went to high school together, and then in the before times... we actually we came back into contact at like a fancy dress party, a dinner, because you were being inducted into the Hall of Fame in our hometown. Congrats, belated congrats. So I'm I'm grateful that you're here, and I'm wondering if since not everybody went to high school with you, um, <laughs> would you mind introducing yourself to us and to the listeners, and just tell us um, tell us your story.
1: Well, Anne Marie, you and I grew up in a community uh, in northeast East Ohio that. Uh, it has changed and, and reshaped itself many times, but uh, when we were growing up in that community, it uh it was a safe place for people to raise their families, and it was a small town. And I grew up on the side of town where all the black people lived. And uh, back then, I really didn't understand much around the world about the world, other than the fact that I had two parents that loved me, and I felt safe every day. And I would never have mentioned that probably 15 or 20 years ago, but now that I am an adult, and now that my kids are an adult, I can look back on my life right now recognize that was one of the earliest and greatest gifts that God ever gave me was to be brought up in a home Uh, With two parents who had their eyes on the needs of their children, and they wanted to create a safe space for them, and so uh, I went off to school. I was a small brown skin kid who wore giant pop bottle glasses. I had two giant front teeth. Oh yes, I (laughs) began wearing glasses in the first grade, and uh, and so I grew up with uh, feeling a little torn between two worlds. Uh, I had all of the kids that I grew up with on my side of town, all the black kids, and we. We all rolled and ran and played rough and tumble with each other, but then I had this love of learning, and uh, it, it forced me at an early age to feel like at times I had to choose between uh, what my dreams were. Uh, I, this, I loved books, and I loved imagination and writing, and uh, that wasn't necessarily always valued amongst the kids that I grew up with on my side of town. Um, I am grateful. It wasn't always easy and smooth, but I am grateful that I had a number of educators who saw me they saw beyond my skin color, Uh, they saw beyond the pop bottle glasses and the giant front teeth and the awkwardness, and they nurtured me. And uh, I wanted to be able to do all the things. And I was grateful that my parents, even though I'm sure behind their bedroom doors at night, they scratched their head, because they didn't really (laughs) always understand me. But uh, I was able to Um, To jump in and do things. And again, I always felt this tension between the things that I dreamed about and wanting to do and whether or not I was a sellout or a token uh, to the kids that I grew up with, my cousins and friends who would often ask, well, why are you doing all that stuff with white people? I was the only black kid in the honors classes. Why are you doing all that stuff with white people? And it was a it was a constant tension. And I think one of the ways I could weather that, and navigate that, again, my parents they didn't always get me, but they always supported me. So went off to college, went to Bowling Green State University, got involved in all of the things. Campus life was a dream. I was thinking about going to law school, and then as life has it, then you meet a boy.
0: And uh, growing up. In our hometown, race was not a conversation that we didn't use the R word. Did we ever? Did we ever use the R word?
1: Oh heck, no! And the the part that um, I don't know if you know this, but I was the first Black homecoming queen, and our school is 150. Seriously. And the town. Now, my 17-year-old recollection—I have to. That's all I can rely on right now. But I remember that there were question marks around wait, we've no one, it had never occurred to anyone that there was never a black homecoming queen. Now, my mother graduated from our high school and she was a beeliner, which was the elite dance team. Excellent. Yeah, I wasn't
0: in that, but yes.
1: Yeah. And so um, (laughs) there had been some black beeliners over the years, which was kind of a big deal. But the town, until I had become a homecoming queen, uh, we had always, Medina always politely
0: set race aside. I'm pretty sure I voted for you for Homecoming Queen. I think that you were the Homecoming Queen. Because um, I just, I remember thinking that was so cool because you got to ride in the, do you remember riding in the car in the parade? I did. I was, I was aspirational for this little ninth grade. I'm like, oh, all I want is to ride in a car in a parade. And, and it, like that's, I just, I remember, I remember the, again, I would have only seen the story above the story, but we we did not, I mean, Whenever we're looking around at our world and saying we have not come far or we have, we do need to stop and remember, like, my kids are not growing up in that time. They are talking about these questions. They are asking hard, hard truths and, and sitting with these kinds of divisions that are not okay. And you're right. It was a – it felt like a safe community and it felt like a friendly community, and it was. It was safe and it was friendly. But it's mostly because people didn't ask. People didn't ask why were you, Barb, the only the only black kid in the in the honors classes? It I mean you're very smart, but it sure wasn't because you were the only smart black kid. What was exactly. happening? What kind of you know, those questions we just wouldn't have asked. I'm glad we're asking them now.
1: Me too. And I think that it, it is it is such a hard conversation to begin when people spend so much time being silent. Uh, particularly in towns where the people who aren't asking the questions, they don't have anything to lose by not asking the questions. So it does take a lot of bravery and courage because uh, there is this scarcity mindset. Uh, If we open up the conversation, then there's going to be groups of people who are going to start asking, what am I going to lose if i if i start having this conversation and so only the bravest and only the most generous and only the most loving are willing to say i believe
0: that opening actually leads to multiplication and not scarcity and and naming naming and talking about things leads to being informed and and empowered to make better decisions than we've been making i think we were taught to politely Ignore race because for some reason it would have been rude for us to talk about race. Do you remember that? You didn't talk about skin color because it was rude. Uh, it was rude, And yes. how incredibly <laughs> rude is it to just ignore? Uh, it's, 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 what a crazy time. Wow. It made
1: it – made- Sense to everyone. Uh, African Americans, in my family, nobody wanted to rock the boat. They didn't want to lose their good jobs. So there were reasons on both sides why those conversations didn't happen. But even then, there were glimpses in the face of what was swept under the rug for too long. There were glimpses that people recog- were able to see like i said i i remember somebody saying to me oh my you're the first black homecoming queen in the school's history and i could see on that gentleman's face the light bulb go on and just go wait a minute this school's been around for 100 plus years and you could see that and i believe that those bulbs uh it's just it's it's taken time but now now there's just no excuse for it
0: no I didn't know that you were the first. I knew you were homecoming queen, but I didn't know until this very moment that you were the first black homecoming queen.
1: To offset the irony, now I'm still 17 and so are my friends. So while (laughs) that whole historical moment was unfolding, what was heaviest on my mind was the fact that I didn't have a date.
0: Oh, yeah. Who are you going to go to homecoming with? That's the. I didn't have a date to that homecoming either. I went and saw, I think I went and saw Pretty Woman. (gasps) <gasps> oh. I think that was, was I went and saw a rated R movie that was the gift because yes. I, I didn't have a date to that dance yeah. and so my, my mom let me go and see a rated R movie you know what that's a offset perfect that.
1: offset I mean that makes right? sense to me. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, I, I the teachers did arrange my date because again, uh, there as a, a woman my age back then, I uh, the choices were there wasn't a, a wide breadth of choices for me. And other than it's like, hey, do you want to go with a family member? Great. Uh, so um, that was the the drama du jour that took up my energy versus the historical significance of the moment. I needed a date.
0: Sure. Isn't it funny, the things we worried about versus the things we could have been worried about, I guess? That's
1: true. But then (laughs) again, there is an irony for the fact that I'm I'm back in that same spot in life, what, 35 Uh, years later? Hell, that's great. (laughs)
0: Let's move on. Hopefully (laughs) there are better choices. Hopefully there are better choices. Uh, Um, I told you about um, the guy with the 17
1: alligators that I just got done talking (laughs) with. And so, you know what, we're going to put a pin in that question.
0: I I see you as more of a, of a four to six alligators. and We don't know each other that well, but I feel like I would cap you. You're more of a single digits alligator woman is how I would describe you.
1: I, I, I generally have been up until now a zero alligator woman. I decided that I would expand and break away from my usual dating type. Uh, my friends have encouraged me to do that. And so what happened was when I decided to become more open, I end up
0: with a guy with 17 alligators. There's that. Uh, it's 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 going to bring it there's there's a lesson there. I don't know what it is, but there is a there is a lesson there. All right, so let's go let's go back here. So you left high school, you went to college, you got pregnant, you came, and you went back to college with a baby? I did, did you just carry the baby with you? Did yes. you do your homework and feed the baby? Talk to me about going to college with a baby. Oh, and a husband. Ah, oh, we well, were married. Two babies. And then. he was in college. So uh, you
1: had you had two 20-year-old college students and uh, a 13-month-old and uh, yes We lived uh, for that last year, we lived about 10 blocks away from the university and it was a straight shot. We had one car and so uh, we had a babysitter who just um, was such a godsend. And so we arranged our classes and we we went boom, 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 boom on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And then we went a little longer on Tuesday, Thursday. And we made sure our classes were at the same time. And then when we finished class for the day, uh, my then husband he went off to work, and I took the baby back home. And then when he got off of work that night, we would uh, take turns doing homework. And oh my gosh. Uh, and if something happened and the babysitter was sick or couldn't, uh, there were a few times. I remember carting uh, my oldest to my constitutional law classes. And thankfully, <laughs> my constitutional law professor had a son the same age. And so uh, there I had to do it maybe three or four times. And we would sit in the way back of this 300-person auditorium. I gave her a billion Cheerios to be quiet uh, because I was planning on <laughs> taking the LSAT. I needed to take all, I mean, I could not miss a class. And so I'm feeding her Cheerios with one hand and taking notes with the other. Uh, but yeah, she we, we did that for that last year of school. And um, I took a massive amount of hours so that I could graduate on time because I had a job but it was uh, it was the season in life when you don't know when you don't know. I mean, we were college students with a kid. Um, it, you you don't know what you don't know. There was still a little bit of a bubble around us.
0: Oh my goodness, i I'm thinking of all the situations where I cheerioed my own daughter into silence, usually in church, you know, one at a time because <laughs> it took them they had to sort of pince them and then you know they they could gum on them for so you could get. You could get a solid minute out of a cheery, like if, as until they learned there were other things. But oh my gosh! So when what made you think no to law school? I I could actually see you being a fantastic litigator. What what closed the door on that for you? Well, I
1: I that was a a a, a dream that I had for a long time, and. It was a hard one to let go of, but I was hired months before I graduated from high school and, or from college. And the starting salary at that job, it was one of the largest companies in America. And I, and my then husband, he still had another six months to go. And I just made the decision that I needed to put a pin in that dream because he had already sacrificed so much uh, and it was my turn. Then as time went on, especially as I began traveling with my other jobs and working, uh, I recognized and realized that uh, my personality, my my particular way of being in the world, uh, that I probably would not have led a well-balanced life in the legal field. That it was probably uh, a, a grace that that career um, didn't go as planned because I, I would have been a workaholic, and it would not have served my family well. I was already a workaholic in other careers, but I would have definitely gone overboard
0: in a legal career. Okay, I can see this. So then when when did the pivot to church come around? Actually, let me back up. What was church like for you growing up? Were you a churchy kid who liked church? Oh, <laughs> I was a black kid who grew up in the Baptist
1: church. I was a church kid. Uh, My ongoing joke is I don't always, I don't recall what day of the week that I was born, but I know that following Sunday I was sitting at church. So um, I grew up in a tradition where what you... What people did on the outside, how they looked, how they behaved, how they acted, was more important than whatever was happening on the inside. And so when I look at matters of faith for me, uh, the whole idea behind God is that he is omniscient, he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, he's always present. And uh, the, the faith walk that I have is based out of the belief that um, that I don't have to do anything to earn God's love and that I don't have to do anything to earn God's grace. But the mindset that I that shaped around me as a kid was that God will only love me if I follow the rules, if I'm perfect, and if I uh just I'm I, I just I always always perform well. So that 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 followed me. And that was um positive in some ways, kept me from sleeping around a whole lot in college. I mean, I still got <laughs> pregnant, but it kept me from like sleeping all all around, uh, kept me from drugs. The entree in the ministry was not planned, which for most people who end up in ministry, that's kind of how it goes. Uh, after college, I had reconnected with God. And I recognized that I had spent years trying to forge my own path, my own faith. And I think God was sitting in heaven going, girl, you are working way too hard on this. (laughs) So um, I finally recognized that uh, what I say to people that God wants more for you than from you. And
0: that's beautiful. God wants more for you than from you. Oh my goodness. And when I
1: was able to absorb that, I was able to relax and really appreciate having a relationship with God. And so I was able to connect to a church in my area in Northwest Ohio. It was a young church, only had about 160 or so people. And uh, this was back in 1996. They served coffee, which was revolutionary back then. Uh, Everybody (laughs) wore jeans, which was revolutionary back then. They played secular songs, which was revolutionary. And uh, it was a place where it was the opposite of what I grew up in, uh, which was um, this new place, people told their stories. They weren't hiding the ugly places in their lives. They were real about how they felt. And so I began to kept showing up week after week. And then I began volunteering there. And uh, at the time I was working in pharmaceutical sales and uh, I was wrestling, uh, my kid's dad and I, uh, he was a a successful executive recruiter. Uh, We were in our mid-twenties making more money than two kids needed to be making and trying to decide, was this the life that we wanted to live? And um, we were starting to show some strain because we both had these busy careers and uh, we were eating out four or five days a week because I was not cooking at the end of the day.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And I remember... Just thinking and going, what what is the quality of life that we want to lead? And so, a few years later, there was an opportunity. They they um, they uh, offered a job for an incredible one hundred and twenty five dollars a week. Amory, one
0: hundred and twenty five dollars a week. You say a week now. Um, Let me do I, the math on that. I Are you, you was only a- working three to four hours that week. Would you no, say, no. or was it one it was one tw- day a week that you were coming? <laughs> Uh
1: I was a I was a pharmaceutical sales rep, an award winning one. And I was they said in um the first thirty days were free. No salary. Now this wow. was nineteen this was in two thousand two or two thousand three. But uh I began working and um I was in one particular role for about a year. And then for the next few years, I kind of would make switches to various roles until I finally landed. And so I spent most of my career on the management and executive team as well as the teaching pastor. And so all of the things from my earlier corporate career and leadership experience, uh, those came back around again. The news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased, and essential world news daily.
0: Oh my gosh, there's some things I'm thinking about. One, when you talked about what church was like growing up, there's that book. I don't know if you've seen it. It's called Crowns. It's it's um, church ladies. I'll I'll put it in the show notes. I'll I'll send you. Yeah. It's it's women. It's black women in their hats, and they are oh, all it. dressed, and they're mm. all dressed for church. And so it is the showpiece that that what you're talking about. The what we look like when we go to church, but then the stories that go with it are kind of like what you're talking about. The peeling back the veil. And so one woman's like, I hate this hat. I've always hated this hat. My mom makes me wear this hat. It is not me. And I go to church with my mama and I'm still a child. She's like, I'm I'm 45 years old and I'm the assistant deputy attorney and, and she's like, but when I go to church I'm still a child. But I'm I'll um, I'll send it to you. It's but it, so it's reminding me of moving from a place where what you look like on the outside somehow determines what you look what you are on the inside and then come into it to a church where you had secular songs i call those boyfriend jesus songs like <laughs> i love you jesus i will be with you jesus i the first time i heard a boyfriend jesus song i wasn't thinking about jesus at all but i was singing and jesus but those boyfriend jesus songs those those make you feel some kind of way. You are praising and you're thinking oh. about who your homecoming date is. Those Boyfriend Jesus songs. Oh, that them. is so precious.
1: I'm going to hold on to that Boyfriend Jesus song. I'm going to hold on to that. Well, um, and as a, as a little postscript, uh, a fun thing. Uh, when I was a kid in the Black Baptist Church, those hats that you talked about, My grandmother and her friends, uh, they all wore those incredible hats. And as a kid, I lived for watching all of the embellishments. They would have flowers, they would have plumes, they would have have ribbons, and there would be all of these embellishments on these hats. And when the music started getting good, Anne-Marie, and the women started clapping, because in the (laughs) Black Baptist Church, it was not the Frozen Chosen, these women, they could take a lap if they needed to. There was (laughs) nothing. Nothing like watching your sixty-five-year-old grandmother <laughs> kick off her shoes and take a lap. I was like, "What is happening here?" But those women made sure that their hair pin, those hats, were pinned down on their head. And the reason why was because they didn't do their hair under those hats, Anne Marie. Oh, they just cut their, their hair. Out. I didn't know that. Which is why I use that. Uh, in some of the things that I teach about and write about, as the symbol of the kind of Christianity that I saw growing up, that as long as you looked good on the outside, people didn't ask questions about what was happening underneath.
0: Yeah. I think that's, there are some parallels there with just the world in which we grew up, That, that that's, you put on a brave face, you just worked really hard, you got it done, you never let anybody see the cracks. You never let anybody know if you're having a hard time. You didn't need help. You didn't need help. You had, you had it under control. And that was the goal, right, to just, to just be – I don't even know what that is that we were aspiring to be. But, and, I mean, in general, I hated church growing up. I participated, but I didn't want to go there. I um, was made to go there. You had Sunday school. Our Sunday school was sometimes on Saturdays that got in the way of the cartoons, and sometimes on Wednesday nights that got in the way of talking on the phone. It moved around. But I remember <laughs> one of my one of my teachers, she was actually my friend Maggie's aunt, um, still is my friend Maggie, Maggie's aunt, Michelle, said there are going to be times in your life when you're going to feel close to the church, yeah. and there's going to be times in your life when you're going to pull away. Yeah. There's going to be times in your life when you're going to be full of faith yeah. and hope, and then there's going to be times in your life when you're not, yes. and it's always going to be there for you. And I didn't again as a kid I didn't really understand it, but I pocketed that. And when you referenced in your own writing about um what it feels like to be in one of those times because I I will be honest, I am in a a, a period of doubt right now since my father passed away, since this pandemic, I think a lot of people have been having a rough time. And when you referred to um, a wilderness season, I understood that. So for folks who haven't had the chance to read your books, I'll I'll make sure we link to them and and talk about them as well. But, you know, have you spent, what's the wilderness season and have you spent any time there? Because I'm looking for people to connect with.
1: Well, I'm so glad that you, first of all, Uh, that you shared that about yourself because this has been a global wilderness season and there may be people who've never heard that kind of language before or haven't felt comfortable admitting it but uh, a wilderness season is this space in time that has a couple of characteristics that we all feel personally. First, we have little control over our circumstances. Uh, The wilderness season is the suspension of the things that we had previously found normal or familiar or comfortable. Uh, The wilderness season is a space where we ask questions and uh, times we try to get back to the way that things used to be. But the most internally pressurized aspect of the wilderness season is that uh, it's confusing. And we do ask hard questions about God. And uh, for me, that the last decade uh, before my marriage ended was a very long wilderness season. Uh, we we had this um, family that was, wasn't perfect, but um, we were happy and we were cute and successful. And through a series of circumstances, all of a sudden, everything that I thought about my life began to slowly fall apart, and I could not get out of it. And this is, I was working on staff at my church. I'm a person who is a follower of Christ. Just because we have faith, that does not mean that we're immune from hardship or doubt or struggle. And I remember just sitting going, God, why aren't you fixing this? I am praying. I am reading my Bible. What's happening? And uh, as, as that, those years went on, uh, the early part of those years, I did not handle it well. Anne-Marie, there was a lot of anger. There was a lot of resentment, and there was a lot of bitterness. And then the next phase, uh, it was grief and it was acceptance. And then towards the end, uh, which was 2018, 2019, uh, it was just pure grief. And, uh, it was just this space where, um, I had to decide whether or not I was going to try to hold on to control or if I would let go. And so if anyone has been familiar with, uh, I wrote a project, uh, it's actually a Bible study called Surrendered, Letting Go and Living Like Jesus. But then there's also a small devotional book. Oh, that's so sweet. Anne-Marie held up her copy with, uh, with all her. Oh, she's okay. She's got them there. I always there. hold Alrighty them up for the
0: listeners as though they can see us. I forget it's radio. <laughs> but you know, I just like to hold up the books so our listeners at home can imagine them. So
1: they can imagine them. <laughs> but I, w- what I hope maybe today is if someone is listening and uh, you recognize that you've been in this wilderness season, uh, there's there's three questions that I had to ask myself, and then there's something that I call surrender principle number one, and so I'm hoping that maybe this could be a practical place that uh, that infuses some hope. And so the first one is, is um, are you trying, tired of trying to fix a situation that's out of your control? Uh, the yes. Second, yeah. The second <laughs> question is, um, are you tired of trying to force solutions for people who won't do what is healthy or helpful for themselves? Yes. And then the third one is, uh, are you ready to let go of trying to be God?
0: I mean, kind of. I'm just still. I feel like I could get it right if they would just listen.
1: <laughs> well, thankfully that. Um, and you know what, Anne Marie, I'm so glad you said that because uh, that one was the hardest for me. I I just thought, you know what, God, uh, I'll call you in in a minute. Let me try one more thing. And uh, so I identified there are five control loving behaviors that we resort to when we're in a wilderness season and we start to panic and so I call them the shine control loving behaviors and so Amory uh so um the <laughs> s so s h i n e shine meaning we want to cast our lighter influence and so we've got stonewalling which is digging your heels in we got helicoptering check. which was micro oh, check okay helicoptering which is micromanaging <laughs> I is interrupting, which is not just interrupting with words, but interfering with what somebody is doing. Uh, Then we have nagging. I don't need to define that. Well, yeah, bring that up. uh, Come on, this is a safe space. You didn't. We didn't hear anything here, and uh, and then I the last the e is excessive planning, and that is uh, that was a big one for me. And so those five control loving behaviors those pop up in wilderness seasons because we're trying to fill the fear that we have. But the practical thing that I want to share with everyone today, uh, I call it surrender principle number one. There are six of them, and these are what I created, but. It is uh, that I am not in
0: control of others or outcomes. That's horrendous. I wrote that down. I have it right here, and I'm like, "Are you sh- really? I'm not not at all, because it feels like you are, right? Especially when you're in a family and the kids are coming and going, and you're the keeper of the schedule, and you know what time they're supposed to be there, and you've packed the line. Lo- you feel like you're in control of an awful lot, but the fact that we can't control other people's outcomes that we actually can't control I at first I read I, I'm not in control of other s- or outcomes I don't know about that and then the more I thought about it I thought that's what's driving me crazy is that in, in your wilderness time you actually have to realize how much you are not in control of and the more you try I, I just I try to hold on much tighter do you ever do that you just well if I just try a little harder if I just sleep a little less if I just get up a little earlier if I just stay up a little later if I just if I just if I just if I just, if I just and then at some point you just kind of crumble because you can't just. And that's that's what I found in your uh, surrender is the one that that's um I've read most recently, but how much how difficult it is to let go.
1: I still have to work on letting go of control every single day. Those tools and principles in those in the book in the Bible study, they still give me life today. We don't just snap out of it when it comes to letting go of control. We have to recognize that oh, there are just some things in this world that we have to let go and we have to give over to God not give up, not give in, but give over and let God take care of it because we can. There is a, a very short one line prayer that I pray, especially when, like Anne Marie, I'm looking at something. And I don't want to give up control of it, but I need to. And uh, this one-line prayer, I'm hoping that especially if it, prayer is hard for you, that maybe this would help. And the prayer is simply this, God, I can't, but you can, and I will let you. Amen.
0: I could talk to you forever, Barb, but we have to end. So I I'm always end with a few icebreakers. Um, I like Ooh, to get them fun. there. Right? So the camp counselor in you. Um, So these are just multiple choice. You can um, pick one. Uh, Coffee or tea? Tea. Mountains or beach? Uh, Or. (laughs) Early bird or night owl? Night owl. Oh, yes. (laughs) Loud or quiet? Quiet. Watch sports or play sports? Play sports. Um, If you could time travel, would you rather go back in time or forward in time? (laughs)
1: <laughs> I'm a black woman living in America. I'm going forward. <laughs>
0: I suspected as much. I'm always interested in what people say. Um, you know, well, the fashion was okay, fine, sure, whatever. Yeah, no, I'm um, more practical. I'm more of a survivalist. <laughs> I like I like it. Okay, now these are a few short answer. Um, what is Something you love about where you live.
1: Uh, for me, I live in a historical district, and so it is friendly, and it
0: is absolutely beautiful in the summertime. And um, yes. what's something quirky that folks don't know about you or likes or loves or pet peeves? I don't know, something that people don't know about you.
1: Well, uh, I, the, um, the one that people seem to find the most fascinating is the fact that I prefer to eat dessert first when I'm at a restaurant. Look,
0: that's I've seen that written
1: down. I just thought yes. that was
0: not real. No, no, that, it's that's real. True.
1: So here's the deal I'm <laughs> never hungry after the meal. So every time they come around and ask, Would you like dessert? I kind of get a little ragey. So <laughs> years ago, I just realized that I can order dessert with my meal and I ask them to bring it out, and then I can take a bite of food, I can take a bite of dessert. And I, it's just, it's a system that works for me.
0: I think there's a life philosophy in there. I think way too many of us delay for someday those things that we think maybe one day we might, and we dream about it and we put it on a board, but, but go ahead and do some of that now. Yes. Don't don't save that don't save that sweet thing for later. I mean, yes. as you and I both know, sometimes the people in our love don't get the later that they had planned to get. We don't know what our later's gonna be. We don't know if that dessert is happening. Yes. So, bring it now. Na- I, I like this. Uh, I I yes. saw that written down about you. I just thought it was a, uh, something that they say in intros that was you know, like like she's a she's a nine alligator kind of girl. You know the thing people say about you, but. <laughs> No, nope, that is uh, that is absolutely straight up the truth. Uh, what's one of your go-to songs? It could be new, it could be old school, it could be corny.
1: Yeah, it's going to be kind of corny. So, um, you know what? I just, shoot. Man, see, we just had this really great discussion, and now I just got to be honest about my Spotify. So let me go with the one that's just the one that's not going to be as painful. So... Um, uh, we're just gonna go with um, uh, CNC Music Factory. Everybody sweat now. Ba-da- yes, ba-da- I'm still playing that, in it's <laughs> lip syncing glory.
0: It is timeless. It is timeless. There's some Milli Vanilli so. songs in their lip syncing glory that I will, will will actually say that I there's a okay. Moving on, but I'm some <laughs> okay. Um, favorite book or movie or both.
1: So, favorite book I just finished. Well, gosh, man. So, uh, look, I'm a full-time they author and literary it. agent. It's hard. <laughs> so, I, I have to do two. It's a short answer. So, first. You're allowed. Big Magic, Elizabeth Gilbert. It right. Is, right. Right. Just finished uh, it for the second time. And then um, the other one, It's I'm going to do it my favorite 2021 read because it's not my favorite of all time. But um, Eleanor Oliphant's completely fine.
0: Wasn't that book. So, uh, that book shook me you think at first that you're nothing like eleanor oliphant you're like this woman's crazy she's got some issues and then like little by little you realize that we are all eleanor oliphant and and that was that was some good work to be done in that book i haven't read that um in a little bit but that yeah that was a good book I agree with it, is, it
1: is such a, uh, I actually used it a week ago. Uh, I was speaking with, um, I did a virtual presentation to an international corporation about a week ago. And I was talking about pandemic exhaustion, not fatigue, but exhaustion. And uh, I decided to talk about suicide for a little bit and uh, use some quotes from the book, because like you said, uh, we, we read her story and we feel far away from her and we pity her. And then as the story goes on, Uh, we recognize that not only are we like her, but there are times when we want
0: to be like, we want to be just like her. Yeah. And I think that whenever, I mean, suicide is also one of those things that, that people don't say the S word because we, if we, if we say it, then um, uh, what we're going to convince someone to kill themselves, that's actually not how that works. Right. That, that when you bring up that, there are times when, when people are alone and broken like she is. And what saves her, not spoiling anything, is that, that outreach, that being seen. How often are we in company with people and we don't see them? We don't hear them. We don't look them in the eye. We compare our outsides to their outsides and we get nowhere. And so with that book, it asks you to see someone's insides. And our insides turn out to be kind of gross a Thank lot you. of the time. And, but they're also really beautiful when uh, that that was a good book. I have to look at that one again. Yeah, I know. I know. I was like I haven't read it in a minute.
1: Now that we're talking about it, I'm like, "Eh, you know what? I've Yeah, I've read it twice and it just it's a gift each time." That's good.
0: Okay, and last one, if we were to take a picture of you really happy and doing something you love, what would we see?
1: You would see me at one of the beautiful local Toledo metro parks with my earbuds in my ear, tennis shoes on my feet, and uh, sunglasses and a smile on my face while I'm walking.
0: Love it. I also love that you call them tennis shoes. I think that I grew up calling sneakers tennis shoes my whole life, and people assumed that they were just for tennis. Like, no, 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 The, the tennis shoes, that's what we called them. You know, they're trainers, and sneakers. Which I feel like that must have been a double
1: quandary for you since you were such a big tennis player.
0: <laughs> Thank you, Barb Bruce, for coming <laughs> on the show today. Thank you for reminding us to find beauty in the brokenness and hope in our surrender. Something we didn't talk about but that I, I want to end with is that story that you wrote about the – it's Kintsukori, Kintsukuroi. Kintsukuroi. Yep, Kintsukuroi. Kintsukuroi. Okay. Japanese broken pottery that's been reassembled and fused back together. And I looked up pictures of this um, demonstrating the brokenness that can be transformed into something more beautiful, that all of us inside of our brokenness can come out on the other side and, and through it with our her cracks showing and be beautiful. So thank you for transforming some of our brokenness, some of my brokenness today, Barb. Um, folks, our, our guest has been Barb Roos, the author of many books. I'm not holding them up, but "Surrendered," "Winning the Worry," um, "Winning the Worry Battle," "Beautiful Already." Her most recent one, I think, is "Is It Breakthrough?" Is that the most recent? I'm not. I think so. Yeah, at least for another okay. week. Yep. All right. <laughs> I've lost all track of, of them all. <laughs> I'm losing track too. We will link to all of them on the show notes page. And um, to everyone listening, be good to yourselves. We're wishing you love and light wherever this day takes you. Um, Barb, we're wishing you that as well. Uh, be good to yourselves, be good to one another, and we'll see you again soon on this Wild and Precious Journey. Wild Precious Life is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to executive producers Gerardo Orlando and Michael DiAloya, producer Sarah Wilgroup and audio engineer Ian Douglas. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey Hey there.
1: I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey.